Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the fifth episode of Muslims of the Melting Pot. Today we have a very special guest. Sahar Jabir is the founder of the Figs and Olives Publications, an Islamic literature company that provides impactful and reliable sources for children, parents, and Muslim communities. Sahar has a background in communications and sociology, and she's passionate about using media platforms to promote understanding and representation among Muslims and Muslim communities. Total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States. Because it's the That's only it. religion that acts like the mafia. They're I'm not immigrants. They're, they're invaders, Let they're not immigrants. This clash of civilizations. And if they're not gonna learn to assimilate, I don't want them in this country. But hold up, that's not really who we are. Perhaps the American melting pot model is not an accurate depiction of the true Muslim American experience. And perhaps the goal is not to mix. But if it isn't, then what really is? To assimilate or not to assimilate? That's the question. I'm your host, Sarah Salimi, and you are watching Muslims of the Melting Pot. Thank you so much, Sahar, for being actually my first female guest on the podcast. So I'm definitely very honored to have you. It's my pleasure. Um, Thank you. To give us a bit of an intro, um, I really want to start with how in the world of isms that we live in today, feminism is one of those movements or causes that a lot of people have started to find meaning in, especially women and a lot of young girls. And it's also one of those controversial things, um, yeah. topics of our time, because it links a lot of different other social movements of the time into it. So including you know, family, gender, abortion, a lot of different hot topics that are in the news and the media world today. The first question I want to ask to lead us into the rest of the, the discussion is, would you say you are a feminist? Okay. <laughs> My background in sociology uh, really aided me in actually coming to terms and understanding what feminism is more than just hearing uh, a reel or someone describe it. Like I actually studied it. Um, I sat through countless hours analyzing uh, different forms of feminism and all of that. And in the beginning of any feminist uh, female rights class, you always feel like, yeah, what they're talking is the truth. What they're saying is right. Who wouldn't want to be on that boat? Who wouldn't want to uh, agree with them and, you know, say, I'm, I'm also a feminist. I don't refer to myself as a feminist. I refer to myself as a practicing Muslim. And that should be sufficient. To say, I am a feminist means that you're falling into a party in which, who is their leader? What are you exactly. actually subjecting fine to? What are the limits? What are the boundaries? Feminism itself is a very ideologically loaded term. So when someone says feminism, right, it's like, what exactly are we talking about, right? Are we talking about like radical feminism? Are we talking about mainstream, mainstream feminism, modern feminism? There's a lot of different branches, but I think one of the things that characterizes a lot of these isms is the fact that they don't really have a specific set definition. Uh, a lot of feminists will say, oh, our movement is just women's rights. And that sounds, like you said, it sounds great. But how would you say Islam's view of women's rights differs from the mainstream or the modern feminism's view of the woman? It differs a lot in the sense where with Islam specifically, you have a set of rules in which you're supposed to follow. You have a set of attributes and beliefs um, that you completely submit to, right? To be a Muslim means to submit uh, while in feminism itself, it can go to your feelings of femininity, your emotions, your thoughts, your attributes, what you 
you know, proclaim yourself to be what you are inclined identify to. Identify as. Yeah, identify <laughs> as. Um, and so there are two different things because when you right. think about, for instance, first wave feminism. First wave feminism, in the beginning, they're propagating for voting rights. They're, you know, they're saying we should be equal to men in, in the workspace, all of that, right? But they completely removed and didn't even attribute anyone that wasn't white skin as a female, right? It wasn't this inclusive thing. While when you look at Islam, what did Islam do from the beginning? When it referred to the hijab as a mandatory thing for all women, it said whether or not you are rich, poor, a slave, a free woman, whether your skin is dark or light, all of you are female, all of you are equal based on your taqwa, based on your religiosity and your devotion to God. And so it completely removed any form of discriminatory or prejudice. Now, the key difference between Islam and feminism is that with feminism, there's no ends to it, right? A liberal party right now will say, I'm, all, I'm a feminist. But at the same time, they'll say anyone that's transgender that wants to partake in female sports can do so, right? Right. They are completely out of touch in reality. Right. They don't take into consideration a woman's physiological, psychology, biology, uh, emotional well-being. They don't take those parts into consideration because the minute they start to try to define what a female is, it's almost as though they're limiting a female. While exactly. Islam does the opposite. Mm-hmm. Islam sees what a female is, sees her limitations, sees her, what she's good in. And it says that if you were to tap into your femininity, if you were to say that at this moment, I want to tap into my caretaker, nurturing, uh, gentle vibe, if you were to tap into your femininity, you'll excel in ways in which you'd never think were imaginable. While feminists see those very things that you're considering as the pedestal, as the very thing that makes you unfeminine. So where is the balance? How can you be a feminist and a Muslim at the same time? It's impossible. It's, it's as though to say two impossible things are in line at the same time, right? Today, feminism, you could say, is an advocacy of women's rights based on equality of sex. So when we say that equality of gender is going to truly achieve justice. So is equality the same as justice? That's really what it comes down to. That's a very, very beautiful uh, question. And uh, I'll give you a quote by Shahid Mutahari to answer that. He says, if instead of blindly following the Western ideas, we allow ourselves some independent thinking, the first question which comes to mind is whether equality of rights does mean their similarity also, right? So should genders have the same rights without any difference or should they have equal rights according to what makes them who they are. There's a key difference. We know the difference between whether or not, for instance, uh, equality or equity were to come into touch. They're not the same. They're not mutually the same because when you refer to equality, it means that I were to give an adult and a child the same amount of a portion of food. When you refer to equity, you're going to say that this adult requires a certain amount of portion and this child requires a certain amount of portion to make each what? Complete and fulfilled. Feminism takes this distribution as injustice, while Islam sees this distribution as equity. The progression of feminism, like you said, started off with giving women these basic rights that, you know, we believe Islam had given her from the very advent of, of, you know, itself. 
So voting rights, the right to own property, you know, all these things that women in the same free society didn't have until not that long ago are, you know, being used to, to give her those rights. But slowly it started progressing with time into this idea that gender itself doesn't really exist. It's a social construct. It was only until the 1870s, 1882, that, you know, the Married Women's Property Act was actually put in place. Or even in 1918, that the woman can actually vote or have a, a role in politics. All of these assumptions that Islam has actually given women's rights since the beginning of time, you have to treat her with justice. You are not allowed to um, discriminate against her. You have to actually provide her, to provide to her. That's a mandatory form of action on a male to provide a female to uh, shelter her, to nurture her, to care for her. In Islam, females can own and sell property. <laughs> While we know it's, it was only until recently. It's funny how the tables turn, and now exactly. uh, people view Islam as the repressive religion, which is, yeah. which is so ironic. It's very ironic because you're talking in a time in which, you know, uh, Prophet Muhammad gave Sayyidah Fatima al-Zahra Fadak, the land of Fadak, which is exactly. enormous. The problem with feminism is the rules in which they ask for it and the things that they advocate for, they right. come out of a lot of hatred and anger. It doesn't come out of principle and logic. It comes out of, we were treated this way, we want to stop being treated this way. Okay, that's not the issue though. It's not even that we don't want to be treated this way, it's we want to be treated like a man. Oh yeah, like, totally. Right? It's like the standard of how I'm treated in society and the opportunities I have, it's like I'm aspiring to be at a man's level instead yeah. of who I am as a dignified being. Exactly. It's almost to say that you're emancipating yourself. And that's why, for instance, on Instagram right now, the amount of reels and the amount of influencers that are coming out and saying that now they're in touch with their femininity. Now they're in, like, it's like, Islam's been advocating yeah. for this for the longest time. And now yeah. that it's actually a trend on Instagram, people are all for females to touch into their femininity. Um, Andrew Tate, what was he coming out to talk about? Masculinity, because a lot of men had forgotten to how to be men, right? And so it was this almost revolutionary thing. Oh, wow, this is what a man is. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's really comical. You mentioned Andrew Tate, um, and he, that's like the key word that gets all the feminists triggered, is, is when you see the society you're living in tilt the balance that exists in, you know, what Allah has created, the nature of humans, when that you know, balance kind of starts getting uneven, you will see a lot of these different polarizing views. Cause you funny, cause when you mention this, it's almost a triggering point where it's like, who said I need a man to take care of me? You know, yeah. what you hear is I don't need men to hold doors for me. I don't need men to, you know, I don't need men to be financially stable. And that's why there started being such a skyrocketing, you know, drive for women to become financially independent to a point where they don't have to rely on a man anymore. Yeah. It's very unfortunate that a woman will not reflect within herself and ask herself, do you really not need a man um, for these things or have you not met the right man? Sure, you don't need a man to open the door, but it's really nice when a man does. It's really mm -hmm. nice when your man can take care of you when you need it. Sure, you don't need it. You can live without it, but I don't want to live without it. I want someone taking care of me and, and I can yeah. make sure that I don't need to worry about food being on the table the next day or the bills being paid or the house being maintained. I would actually prefer for a man to take care of those. So if she doesn't need it, good for her. Uh, but it doesn't mean that that's not normal. 
That doesn't mean that that's natural. You're just, you saying you don't need it is actually unnatural. We don't really emphasize the fact that it's not just women who need men. Men need women too. 100%. So men and women both need each other for a healthy family unit to be established within, you know, the larger social structure. It's almost like the yin and the yang, right? Those symbols, those signs. Exactly. That's what a female and a male is. When a man and a woman are able to actually touch into into their masculine or feminine traits, they're going into a realm and a universe in which they really never imagined to be possible. Exactly. Because a female and a male, they really think differently. They both base their ideas and their thoughts in different perspectives. And when they put these two perspectives together, it embraces both logic and emotions together. Speaking of gender roles, which now I think especially with a lot of these modern movements, there's been such a drive to, you know, push the idea that gender roles should not exist um, and that they're detrimental to society. Yeah. Do you think that society is more fair overall if it accepts gender roles or embraces them or if it rejects them? I believe that if both genders actually understood the other's values, the results would actually be a perfect divine system in society. Right. If we were to reflect and say that my role, my contribution, it is a different form of contribution. However, it is equal in justice in the eyes of God and just value God above whatever else I'm valuing. Of course, the society in it would be equal. The biggest problem is that in this situation, our values and what we reflect as important is being deceived, right? Sayyid Ali Khamenei, he has a very beautiful quote in which it says, Every being would be able to offer its own existential contribution the way it should. No talent would remain unused or wasted. No one would be oppressed. Moreover, mankind would reap the benefits of this harmony, cooperation, appropriate gathering of men and women, leading to ultimately progress as a society. And so if society were to actually reflect on the idea that when I contribute my part, it does not mean that there is someone in which his part is more important than the other, right? right? When a man brings money to the house, it is a woman that makes that money into an actual form of wealth, right? Exactly. She makes it into a nice home dinner. She makes the memories. She makes it into a home, really. She makes a house into a home, for sure. Exactly. She makes everything into a life, right? And so a lot of our memories as a child are because our mom and our dad worked together in order to make those memories possible, right? Our dad exactly. contributed to purchase the groceries. Our, our mom contributed to make us that beautiful home dinner that we all have memories of and enjoy. And both are equally important. But to assume that a man, just because he's working outside of the house and he's contributed financially is more important than a female's job and role in the home is to assume that one has more value than the other. And we know that to be untrue in Islam. We know that the only value in which a male or a female will ever had is their taqwa. The narrations in which um, emphasize a female's role, it's never that it made Islam, a female's role in the house mandatory. It never said it's mandatory for a woman to clean or to cook. If anything, it actually said that a woman can actually ask for a monetary expense for these, right? We value Absolutely. monetary expenses, while Islam values God consciousness and taqwa. It's really important that you bring this up because this leads us into the next question, which is about the source of female empowerment. If you look at, I guess you could say, modern 
way feminism views female empowerment, a lot of it rests in how fast a woman can achieve financial independence and how fast she can create that perfect Instagram lifestyle for herself. Uh, or how fast she can climb up that corporate ladder or how much money she can accrue, like you said, that money and that wealth. Islam, however, doesn't view it like that. It views female empowerment, as you said, rooted in her piety, but also recognizing that the biggest asset to a family and the biggest role a mother will ever play is her ability to raise the next generation of yeah, humans. Human. Can we address that, you know, kind of difference in female empowerment and where you think true power in the female reality lies? So the primary role accorded for a female, for a woman in Islam is that of a wife and a mother. That's the primary role. Okay. Um, and it's sad that what you just said is so controversial. So controversial. This, this will literally um, blow the internet. The internet. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, the problem is, is that people will attack you. Even Muslims will attack you, especially those that aren't married or those that aren't a mother or those that don't want to actually subjugate to these things and, and prefer to, to stand on a different aspect in society. So Muslims themselves will attack you before feminists will attack you. Yes, that's, that's unfortunately. Known. Unfortunately. Um, now, I'm saying that the primary role of a female is this. It doesn't mean that there aren't another female that isn't married or doesn't have a child that can't actually reach to her perfection. That's not what right. I'm saying. When we're talking about Islam, in a general sense, the primary role of a woman is to be a wife and a mother, at a general sense. Right. Doesn't mean that it's her fault if she isn't. But that's her primary role. Right. Working on that note, right, it is precisely feminists and a lot of Muslims themselves that are most uncomfortable when I say that. Because feminists especially are concerned with liberating women from the expectations that they should marry and have children. Right. And it's really hilarious because they really reduce a man to just being someone that wants to subjugate you and, and control you. It's actually, if anything, feminism is doing a disservice to masculinity because it's actually not appreciating, especially as a Muslim woman, what he's contributing to you. A man, a Muslim man, what's he saying? He's saying, I want you to take the best care of yourself. I want exactly. you to have a healthy body so that we can have future children so that you can actually be able to give us the best life possible. And so in Islam, it's not saying that a female's only role in life is to work and clean or anything like that. It didn't even say it's mandatory to do that. But what did it do instead? It said it's mandatory for a man to provide for a female. In their eyes, right, her progress, a woman's progress is in employment and income and experimentation with non-traditional uh, intimate realms and political power, while Islam does not impede women from wealth or power. It doesn't say you're not allowed to have it. We know Sayyidah Khadija was a millionaire in her time. It doesn't yes. say that. A whole businesswoman, really. Exactly. Yeah. But instead, we can see how Sayyidah Khadija was able to differentiate. When was it time for her to lead caravans that were so successful? And when was it time for her to tell her husband, here, it's all my wealth income, here's all my wealth. Do exactly. with it as you need. I'm going to be here beside you. I'm going to nurture you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of Sayyidah Fatima Tazara. Right? There's a difference. We know that a mother right now in this day and age, it's so hard to even convince her that her role is important. Anyone can be a mom, but not anyone can actually have that nurturing 
nurturing aspect that leaves a deep impact in the soul of the human being and arouses the passion and invokes softness and warmth and tenderness. Great. And so to understand the value of a mother, we have to recognize what God places a mother at. Where does he place a mother at? And we can see that Imam Zain al-Abidin has a beautiful quote. He said, you should know that you are unable to thank your mother appropriately unless God helps you and grants you the favor and ability to repay her. One thing that we also, I think, don't realize is a lot of mainstream and modern isms that have risen, they've rested on this idea that God should be eliminated from the picture. It's part of the reason why you see, for example, mothers a lot of times feel underappreciated because they're doing Essentially, it's equivalent to having two full-time jobs or even more, but you don't see the value of it. Why? Because it's not showing physical gains. It's not showing uh, the same metrics that are used to measure success in this world because you don't believe that there is a version of success that might not be measured in quantitative measures, right? Yeah. It's only natural that all of these movements will eventually move toward recognizing the only value as being material. Whereas we believe that a mother's status and the role that a woman really has, according to Islam, is, is immeasurable. There's no way you can put a number on it. Exactly. Uh, the key thing that you said was, you know, removing God from the picture. That's ultimately the plan. What we consider to be true is we consider to God to have created a male and female in a specific aspect, right? We know that the soul is genderless in Islam. It has no femininity, no masculinity. Instead, it's taken up a body and based on that body, it's taken a form of shape. A male is asked of something different than a female. But what God has done is that he's also seen where is it that you're able to reach to your potential perfection? And based on that, he's made you a female because he believes that it's in your femininity that you can reach to your perfection. And so when you have a greater purpose for your marriage, that my marriage um, is for him to actually make me reach to my highest goals, right? I personally remember when, when I was speaking to my husband in the beginning, in the early ages, I remember thinking in my head that if I marry this individual, this individual is gonna lead me to God. He's the one I want me to lead me to God, right? I could have chosen someone else for monetary sins. I didn't, it didn't even mean anything to me. Absolutely. What actually resonated with me was who can I actually give my heart to, to treat with kindness and actually make me reach to God. And, and that's where all, my whole focus, my whole marriage was. You also start viewing the challenges and the trials and tribula tribulations that come in the marriage and in the family with a much different lens. Because if you look at it on a very materialistic level, motherhood is atrocious. You know, you're raising kids, they're, you know, dirty, they're going everywhere, there's no way to control them. By that metric, you know, no woman wants to just voluntarily say, I'm doing this and that's the end of it. When you have an idealistic view of how womanhood fits into a larger perspective, every single step you take toward that becomes that much more meaningful. Exactly. That's very beautiful. Um, because she needs to see her role as outside of what she's doing. She can't just say, I'm putting the dishes into the dishwasher. No, I'm actually contributing right now. I'm doing such a beautiful thing for my family. Exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm providing them with a clean space to feel more comfortable and to explore their talents and, and to grow, right? You can see in Islam how there's almost a circle. A man takes care of the family, a female takes care of the family in a different form, in a different aspect. The beauty of gender in Islam 
is that it doesn't consider the differences as unequal. Rather, because of these differences, it allows each gender to become equal. That's so beautifully mentioned, yeah. One last question I have from you is, you know, you have mentorship programs for young girls, you have written children's books, you're very well, I would say, attuned to how communicating these complicated issues to younger people can be. What would be your message to young girls who um, are seeing this whole feminism movement championed so strongly in society and they're Muslim? What would you say to them in terms of being proud of how their religion views a woman and female empowerment? My message to them would definitely be for them to actually wake up and to recognize when what is reality. Are they even living in a real reality right now? Um, I literally came from Lebanon to Canada this summer. And it's crazy to assume that everyone here is actually living in a bubble. The way the mainstream media is, how powerful it is, it really makes you forget that you're only a small entity in comparison to all the females around the world. The reason in which we really need to wake up, and I feel like I need to shake some girls sometimes, like, this is not reality. The, the, exactly. What they're telling you right now is not real. This is just... It's the matrix. <laughs> it's the matrix. It's an unrealistic expectations for females to have it all. It really does remove a female from her abilities to actually perform her feminine touch and tap into it. My message to everyone is, is to really reflect and to, to read, you know, what does uh, Shahid Mutahari have? to say about femininity, about females in, in his book. Just last point that I would love to add is that if we actually embraced our femininity and embraced our femalehood, we would then assume that that gentle nature and character is the very superpower that makes you stand out of everyone else. Absolutely. We would be able to recognize that your modesty, your haya, your, your beauty, your integrity, is all key characteristics and will actually make you a female and it's not what uh, denounce your or devalue in society. That was such a beautiful ending to, to this episode. Thank you so much, Sahar. I'm so, so honored that you were able to make it. Um, I really benefited from your wisdom, mashallah, and I really hope that our guests as well will take away a lot from what you said today. Thank you, Thank you. so much for your time. 